Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to take a bite out of the competition? Are you looking for ideas to make your business better? Welcome to the Core Business Show with Tim G.K. Sponsored by Apple Capital Group. At the core of every successful business, you'll find people making a difference. And with each episode of The Core Business Show, we talk with those people, examine those ideas, and explore the strategies that make them special. Now, the host of The Core Business Show, Tim Jacquet. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Core Business Show. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. Today's topic is Chinese espionage night. Taken seriously, our special guest today is Frank Venicio. He's out of uh, uh, Chicago. He's the editor-in-chief of NY Analysis of Public and Government uh, Policies, covering national and international matters. Also, he co-hosts his own program as well, uh, and nothing but the truth. If you'd like to join in the conversations, please go ahead and uh, put your questions in the chat room, or you can call 347-324-3460. Frank, welcome to the program. Thanks. It's great to be with you this morning. I guess to begin with, our listeners love personal stories uh, about the person, uh, how they came up. So if you don't mind, just kind of share it with us. Uh, where are you from, and, and how did you get into uh, uh, analyzing uh, government policies and politics? Well, actually, I had founded a small uh, micro-publishing firm called the Space Press back in the 1980s and took a look at uh, both U.S. and international technology, particularly as it related to both military and the space program. Uh, From there, I actually wound up being in both Republican and Democrat administrations on the state and local level. Most recently, I served as the head of the Workers' Compensation Board for the Manhattan area in the aftermath of 9-11. Uh, Continuing with looking at world events, whether it be terrorism or the recent change in the military posture around the world, and it has been a pretty significant change, um, I realized that no one was actually doing a very objective type of study. And we started the New York Analysis of Policy and Government to attempt to provide that kind of objective analysis, uh, a discussion not just between one partisan group and the other, but between the real facts, and the voters as a whole. And that's how the story began. Wow. So um, starting your own uh, project in the 80s, uh, was it challenging, you know, starting a business during that particular time as publication? It It was actually very challenging but very rewarding. It was actually a lot easier to start a venture back in the 1980s. Than it is now. Um, Certainly the financial situation was a lot better. Um, It was harder in one sense in that we actually started our publication before you had home computers. And Mm -hmm. so all of our subscribers had to get their information through good old-fashioned snail mail. Today, of course, it's a lot easier. You just press a button on your computer and you can email it to a couple of thousand people right off the bat. So the technology has made it all a lot easier. Um, but the business climate and the partisanship that exists now is a lot rougher. Wow. Tell us your experience when it comes uh, when uh, it came to uh, working with Democrats and Republicans. Is it we know they have different ideas and ideologies. What are the major differences uh, between the parties? The way they think that I'm not going to say it's uh, is is actually who they are. Does that make sense? 
It we does. See on the it surface, does. I, I think, we see on the oh, surface, oh, but we don't I, see the whole picture. I'm, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? No, no, go ahead. Uh, I, I think it, it's changed a lot. You know, back in the 1980s, the head of Congress, Tip O'Neill, the speaker, would go up to the White House, sit down with President Reagan on a Friday night, get a little tipsy over a few good drinks, and basically hash out their differences. Today, um, the gap between the way the Republicans think and the Democrats think is so vast that that sort of thing can happen. I think in the past there was a very different way of looking at things, a way of getting to a certain end. There was a Republican way of getting to a certain end. There was a Democrat way of getting to certain ends. But they always had the same basic ultimate objective. It was just different ways of getting there. Today, I think we have very, very different views of what America is supposed to be. And there's not that eventual conjunction of both sides really want to get to the same place, just taking different roads to get there. That doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. So why is this great divide? I mean, we had the 70s, people do things a certain way, the 80s. Uh, look at Tip O'Neill, wonderful guy, Ronald Reagan, wonderful and we got to the Clinton years. It, you know, we got through that. Uh, 2000. It seemed like the whole world started to change. It, do you think because uh, we are no longer our own self entity now, everything happens around the world that the economy changes, or that just the people changes, or we're just dealing with a different? No, I, I actually think there was a significant change within the Democratic Party itself, which I think spurred a lot of the differences. Um, okay. Pretty much there was a strong element within both the Democrat and Republican parties that, despite all the rhetoric, pretty much were fairly similar in the way they looked at the world. I think the Democratic Party, uh, starting in the mid to late 2000s, became radicalized. I don't think, for example, that someone like a President John Kennedy, um, a Tip O'Neill, um, a Scoop Jackson, who used to be a very prominent senator from Washington State, would really have a place in today's Democratic Party. And I think you look at people like wow. Joe Lieberman, who left the Democratic Party, became an independent, um, don't feel that there really is a place for them within the Democratic Party. So when the Democratic Party changed so dramatically, I, I think that kind of ended the possibility for a, a more congenial way of solving our national problems. What are the big differences that uh, that change midstream? I mean, uh, within the past, you know, seven eight years. Well, this is the last well, decade, I, rather. I I think that it somewhat has to do with what the the very culture of our country. I, I think that both Democrats and Republicans kind of felt in the past, kind of felt that this was a country of dreamers and doers that government should have depending whether you're Republican or Democrat, more or less a big role in your life, but not a controlling role in your life. I think over the past couple of years, um, particularly with Nancy Pelosi, Barack Obama, um, the Democratic Party has leaned somewhat further to the left, significantly further to the left. And I think there has also been a rejection of any interest um, on that part of the radical wing of the Democratic Party, any interest in foreign affairs. And I think that alienated a lot of people both within the Democratic Party, like former Democrat Senator Joe Lieberman, 
former Democratic uh, significant figure, Zoe Miller. Um, and once people like that went to the outside of the Democratic Party, um, there really wasn't much room for dialogue. There wasn't much common ground to have that discussion, whether it be in domestic mm-hmm. affairs or foreign affairs. Wow. And it, it's just that all the way to the left, uh, things are really changed with the, these, uh, this current administration and with Nancy Pelosi, head of the Democratic Party. Well, sure. And you saw it kind of at the start of the Barack Obama administration when uh, one of the first acts that President Obama did was, unfortunately, uh, he got into a bit of a tiff with the British, which had been a very special relationship between our country and the British for many years, and he sort of alienated uh, the British early on in his administration. Also, I think there was a rejection of a worldview that said that although the United States strives for peace, we recognize there are threats out there. Now, again, depending on whether you're a Democrat or Republican in the past, you had varying degrees of how serious that threat was, but Democrats and Republicans pretty much agreed that there was some stuff out there that you had to be careful about. I think the Obama administration um, looked internally and said, we have problems here at home that we're going to address, and we're going to pretty much ignore anything outside of the borders of the United States. That was a significant change. Wow. What about the Republican Party? Anything has really uh, have changed with them? I think there are changes coming within the Republican Party, but I don't think they've struck home quite as forcefully as what's happened in the Democratic Party. Within the Republican Party, um, you see the Tea Party movement, which is basically saying that the Republican Party, that if the Democratic Party um, is going to be so radicalized in one direction that the Republican Party needs to get more ideological itself. The Tea Party folks tend to say that there's not much room for compromise with the Democrats, that government has grown far, far, far too large, and we have to do something about it. And their response to it is to say that the Republican Party should no longer give in to a lot of compromises with the Democrats. So I think there's a similar change coming within the Republican Party. Um, I've been to both Tea Party events and I've seen some of the Occupy events. I, I tend to think you can probably talk more with the Tea Party people than the Occupy people. Um, Tim, I, you as a journalist know that um, when reporters went down to the Occupy movement, um, a lot of them were harangued. They weren't treated very well. They couldn't really get into a great conversation with the Occupy folks. When you go down to some of the Tea Party events, they talk your ear off. <laughs> you know, they want to engage you in a dialogue. Um, you know, you, you fill up a couple of notebooks or fill up a couple of tape recorders full of information um, when you walk away from the Tea Party folks. So, you know, I, I think that there is a change coming to the Republican Party. I don't think, though, that it will be as uh, dramatic as what's happened, though, to the Democratic Party, which is, as the old commercial used to say, this is not your father's Democratic Party, and it certainly isn't. (laughs) Wow. Changing back to the topic of uh, today, Chinese espionage not taken seriously. Kind of tell us about that particular topic um, and your energy behind it. it's It's the greatest story barely ever told. Recently, the uh, National Security Director, Keith Alexander, noted that China's espionage efforts have resulted in what he called the greatest transfer of wealth in history 
about $400 billion of American wealth went to China. Um, here's the problem. Companies doing business in China are almost forced into what's called technology transfer. So if you're selling, say, a, uh, an airplane engine to China, to a Chinese company, um, you not only have to sell the engine, but you have to sell the blueprints of how you make that engine. And so decades of American expertise and industrial know-how are being transferred to China almost free of charge. And it's becoming quite seriously both in the economic sphere and in the military sphere as well. Economically, um, companies like Microsoft have been complaining that if they come up with a new piece of software, be it something as simple as a new video game or a new version of Microsoft Word, um, before it goes on sale in the United States in their own stores, it's already being sold at a discount on the streets of Beijing. That's a lot of money to lose, but all the development money that went into something like that. Similarly, in military technology, uh, stuff that took the American taxpayers, you know, maybe 20 years and $20 billion to develop is stolen by a variety of methods and winds up being usable by the Chinese military at almost no cost to them. One of the most famous examples was the W-88 small nuclear warhead, which took you know, quite a while to develop, quite a lot of taxpayer dollars. The Chinese stole the plans for it. And so at well, no cost to them, they were able to develop this thing and incorporate it into their military. So how did they steal it? You're saying that we had to hand over our information and blueprints to them in order to make it? Well, in the sense of when it comes to military stuff, it, it's a little different, of course. You're not really selling this stuff to them. And they, they got this information basically one of three ways. One is good old-fashioned spying. The other is by cyber attacks, able to get into Defense Department or contractor computers and getting the information that way. And the third way is simply by many cases, bribing uh, someone who had access to this information and getting it from there. For example, um, this year, a Chinese-born, naturalized United States citizen named Dongfang Chen was convicted of stealing $2 billion worth of Boeing trade secrets related to the space shuttle and transferring this to China. Um, he eventually was caught, and it, it developed into a landmark case. It was the first economic espionage case in American history. And this is going on at a pretty significant scale. Um, the Bloomberg Financial Report recently said that one U.S. metal company lost technology to Chinese computer hackers that cost the company about 20 years and a billion dollars to develop. Well, well, if you really think about it, look at China uh, at their end, okay? Um, they're their own world, <laughs> their own government. So if the Americans is going to – I'm not going to say we're being sloppy of giving things away. I'm sure they're uh, really persuasive. But can we make a different network system that is secure that's offline? Or can we monitor our people more carefully and say, you know, only keep it down to a certain amount of people to get that information done? You know, instead of developing, yeah, I mean, they go in and, and get the information – the old-fashioned way, you know, they take it. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's a lot of things that could be done. Um, technology changes by the minute these days. 
So one of the things that has to happen is that we have to constantly upgrade our computer firewall systems in, in things like the Department of Defense um, or in contractors who make the stuff that the Department of Defense uses. So that's part of it. Uh, part of it is how we control what gets sold to the Chinese. Now, remember, a lot of material, a lot of stuff, like that airplane engine that we were talking about a few moments ago, um, mm -hmm. has dual uses. You can use that on a commercial airliner or you can use it on a military aircraft. So there has to be tighter export controls on what's sold to China. Now, recently there was a bit of a debate in Congress um, based on an action by the White House. The White House changed the way we review materials sold to China. It used to be a variety of agencies that were more interested in things like military affairs and high security. The Obama administration changed that and said that the Commerce Department would now be the agency that reviews technology transfers. Now, the Commerce Department is set up to do what? Encourage commerce. So Absolutely. their control, right? So their controls weren't particularly as tight as what existed before. So we probably have to take a lot of those review standards out of the Department of Commerce and put it back into the hands of organizations that are more concerned about military affairs. So that's one, a, a second thing that we have to do. A third thing that has to be done is, quite simply, when all those other methods fail, we have to have a way of punishing the Chinese for doing this. You can't sue the Chinese in Chinese courts because they'll rule against you. One of the great myths is that there are different parts of China that we could deal with. For example, you know, the private sector in China or the military sector in China or the civilian government in China. Actually, it doesn't really work that way. Um, the People's Liberation Army of China actually owns most of the private companies or a good percentage of the private companies. So you're really dealing with the military even when you think you're dealing with a civilian company. Similarly, there's not much of a of daylight between the Chinese military and the Chinese government. So really, you're only dealing with one entity. So when technology is stolen, whether it be you know, by someone that calls themselves a private company or the Chinese government itself, the U.S. government has to be prepared to step in, protect the American company, and retaliate in some way through withholding funds uh, from China, through attaching Chinese assets in the United States. Now, the next question, obviously, is isn't that a problem because, after all, the Chinese are lending us money. We're not lending them money. Absolutely. So, And that's exactly, uh, right. And that's exactly right. Um The way you get around that, perhaps, the Chinese economy depends very heavily on selling things to the United States. And if we restricted certain sales of Chinese goods in the United States, um, that might be a very painful thing for them. There's an old saying that if you owe the bank $1,000, the bank owes you, owns you. But if you owe the bank a million dollars, then you own the bank. That's the position the United States is in. We owe so much money to the Chinese, and their economy is so dependent on both the money the U.S. owes them and on the sales that they make to the American public that if the U.S. decided to get tough and to, you know, hit on those scores, then I think the Chinese would sit up, take notice, and perhaps start to play a little bit nicer. So what do you think, out of, uh, your personal opinion regarding where we're going to go in the future? Are we going to get tough in any, either administration 
or are we just going to let it slide by? I think this is the first time in American history we we never know. We don't know tomorrow what's going to happen with either administration, if this administration continues or a new administration comes in. It's it's the first time the unknown. You're making a great point because I, I don't think there's possibly with the exception of the late 1850s when it was, you know, with the United States um, do whatever it had to, to end slavery or would it simply continue with the, with the old methods. I, I think we're exactly in that type of juncture at this point. The difference between the worldview of the Obama administration and the potential people in a Romney administration is so sharply divergent, so sharply divergent, that we don't know, you know where this country is going to go. There's never been this much uncertainty since the, the prelude to the Civil War. So is there a solution? What, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, if we go this route or we go this route? Well, we I, I think if we, ever know on, if we continue on the current road of pretty much ignoring um, the rest of the world, I, I think that's going to have pretty disastrous consequences at some point. We're seeing it now in the South China Sea. Um, within Philippine territorial waters, there is a great huge amount of, of oil and natural gas, about 80% of as much oil as in Saudi Arabia. It belongs to the Philippines. The Chinese Navy sailed in and basically said, this is now ours. The United States has done nothing about it. Um, unless the next administration gets more aggressive in terms of saying, we won't put up with this, then I think that you're going to have a world that looks radically different than it does today. A world where the United States becomes an irrelevance, a world where it's basically Russian or Chinese power that's uh, superior rather than American uh, foreign power. Wow. Uh, when you're talking about really, uh, of course, Paul Ryan was named the uh, vice president pick. Do you think uh, any of his ideas going to be influence the election, or if that new administration come into power, are they going to get Chuck on China, on China itself? I would hope so. I think they're more realistic than the Obama administration. But let me say this: the Republican okay. Party doesn't have a perfect record on China either. Um, part of the problem is that the leadership of the Republican Party in many cases is very corporate. And corporations always hope to sell things and they they, they too hope to sell to China. Um, mm -hmm. And so they don't really want to aggravate what they see as a potential market. But I think over the past couple of years, however, the even the most corporate-minded of politicians have begun to realize that the possibility of getting rich off dealing with China is more of a myth than a reality and that the Chinese have not been good trading partners and that some substantial change has to take place. So I would suspect that a Romney-Ryan administration will probably be a lot tougher on China than the Obama administration. So too, I think that the Republicans tend to be more hard-nosed when it comes to potential military threats. So I, I think in that sphere, they would also be um, a bit tougher on on, on China. Okay. Uh, last couple of questions real quick regarding uh, your program, uh, Nothing But the Truth with uh, Larry. Uh, Allison, kind of tell us about that program and when does it air? Well, we air every Saturday morning 
um, from 10 o'clock to about 10.30. It's on WVOX. Uh, you can get it across the country on WVOX.com if you go onto that uh, that site at 10 o'clock or actually 10.05 on Saturday mornings. And we try to have a somewhat more in-depth conversation. These days with slogans and sound bites, the American public doesn't get a chance to really probe issues. And by the way, you're mm-hmm. doing a great job on this issue, and I really appreciate the chance to be with Thank you this morning. Um, you know, this type of in-depth conversation that you and I are having this morning rarely gets aired. I mean, most of it are people screaming at each other on talk shows um, or just sound bites. And for the American public to really be informed, not just yelled at, not just given slogans, to be informed, we need to have more conversations like you and I are having right now. And that's what we try mm-hmm. to do on the and Nothing But The Truth show as well. Wow. And it, it airs on what station there? I think you're in Chicago? Uh, no, actually we're in New York. New, and it's at New York, w- I'm sorry. Sure. WVOX, uh, it's on the air. If you're in the New York area, you can get it on 1460 AM, regular mm-hmm. broadcast. Um, if you're not in the broadcast area, you can get it across the world by simply hooking on to WVOX.com at 10.05 every Saturday morning. Perfect. And your website, uh, again, is? Uh, it is www.andnothingbutthetruth.com. Perfect. Well, Frank, what would you like to leave us with? I think the most important thing is to realize that the news media, for the most part, the, the what I call the old news media, you and I are part of the new <laughs> news media, um, really has fallen asleep on the job. Um, for the most part, they're not covering very important stories like this one and a whole host of others. And I, I would hope that before anyone makes a decision about who to vote for, they go to shows like yours and mine, hopefully, um, and, and try to get all the information they can before making a decision. Far too often, people spend more time deciding what they're going to have for lunch than who they're going to vote for for president. I don't think that's served us very well lately, and I would hope that folks take a more in-depth view of the world. Perfect. Well, Frank, thank you for joining the program. It was wonderful, and thank you for putting such a great show on the air. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Again, that's, that was uh, Frank uh, uh, Venicio. He is uh, he has a show out there in New York City. Uh, take a listen to it. Uh, it is called And Nothing But The Truth. Also, you can go to his website, andnothingbutthetruth.com, and you can get the link to his show on WVOX 1460 AM. That airs on Saturday morning. Everybody, thank you for listening to The Core Business Show. We didn't take a commercial break uh, today, but anyway, we'll just do it to the, within the next half hour. Everybody, thank you for listening to The Core Business Show. It's Tim J.K., your host. We ask you to go on to uh, iTunes or Blog Talk Radio. And if you don't mind, write some reviews about these these episodes. If it's something benefiting you or if you are like a particular guest to be on the show, please reach out to us at info at com. Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a great day. This is Tim Jacquet, your host. Thank you for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. For a free quote on equipment leasing and financing, visit our website, applecapitalgroup.com. That's applecapitalgroup.com. And fill out the information to receive your free quote. We hope you'll join us for our next episode. And remember, you can always get to The Core via iTunes. You'll find all our previous episodes there. 
Thanks again for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet.